Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for the series, and I have with me today Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian, and Amy Russell, a dear sister in Christ who was saved out of the new age and has some warnings for the church. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. All right. So, Amy, last week we left off talking a bit about kundalini yoga and how that ties right back to the serpent in the Bible. Can you just give us a recap of some of the side effects of kundalini yoga? Sure. Some of the side effects I experienced were muscle spasms and twitches, intense heat, intense fatigue, chronic headaches, cold chills in my lower skull, grief, fear, rage, depression immediately following the practice, and convulsions, heart palpitations, and altered states of consciousness and hallucinations. Wow, that sounds like it should come with a warning label. Really? It actually does. If you look online at any of these practices, there's always warning labels. Wow. Okay, so then with something that has the potential for these serious side effects, how has this just become an acceptable part of an exercise routine where you can go to any local YMCA and take a yoga class? So the popular mainstream westernized yoga, it's for the secular standpoint. Uh, students practicing, they're practicing in this style of yoga as a workout element, not the spiritual component. So they're essentially attempting to substitute the occult for the workout by rebranding it. And a lot of the classes are called power yoga. So it's more along the lines of people just want to go work out. They don't care about the spiritual component. And that is what it is advertised as. So it appeals to all genres of practitioners. As long as they don't talk about the spiritual aspect in, in a lot of cases, they think that it just doesn't exist. It doesn't matter. They can just erase that part of it and advertise it as a workout. So, I have a question about that. Yeah. I thought these were poses that you get in a certain stance or a certain way that you are physically. Right. Does that, does that have anything to do with cardiovascular? How is that a workout? It does. Um, it does get your heart rate up. It, it is considered cleansing. And these classes do make you sweat. And so the poses that you shape your body into do create certain health benefits initially. So it is a, it is a workout. You know, a lot of these classes think if you don't discuss the spiritual aspect of these poses, then it just nullifies it. Just start with the popular mainstream secular yoga. It's practiced in every facet of Western culture as a pretext for health relaxation, fitness, dance, and even art. But yoga is a mystical body language. So as we mentioned, someone who begins a yoga practice, they might say, I don't understand or even care about the philosophy behind yoga. I just want to do it for the workout, for the rush it gives me. And does this nullify the mystical spiritual component of yoga? No, it does not. The spiritual world or the demons associated with it actually prefer that one is not concerned with the language of yoga. And then I spoke a little bit about Patanjali in the previous session. He's the revered Indian sage 
according to Hindu lore, he elevated to deity status and he composed the yoga aphorism, 99% practice, 1% theory, translated practice and all is coming. So of course, he didn't bother to specify what is coming. You know, what are we invoking when we do these poses? And accordingly, so the students then entering the domain of the spirits with no resistance. Right. And disapproval or ignorance of its philosophies do not factor in. The demons do not care. As no. long as you show up, they don't care. So by virtue of showing up and stepping on your mat, you're commencing into the communion with the spirit world. You've entered their domain and they've set the ground rules. Ignorance or apathy are not valid disclaimers. Engaging in the poses is all that is required for the demons to exploit. So you're allowing these spirits to be the conductors of your body because according to yoga gurus, our bodies act as a conduit through which the spirits are able to operate as we emulate them. So the idea is they, they can operate through us as we take those poses, as we emulate them. Okay, so I can see why that would be concerning to Christians. But to the average person, just your average American wandering into their exercise class, would that concern them? Do they, are they even aware of it? Most Western practitioners are not aware of it. And, and even if they are, because of course you'll walk into a studio and there'll be statues representing all of these deities, but it doesn't really factor in. It, in their mind, it's for the most people, myself included, when I initially started, I was like, oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, it's, it's just like a spiritual idea. You know, it's a nice idea. Um, but so many people now are along this mindset of the ecumenicalism, like all is one. So it doesn't really matter as long as we're all coming together as one. It doesn't matter what format that your God takes. You okay. know, there's, there's not considered to, it's not considered to be harmful. You, you're worshiping your God in the way you want to. I'll worship my God in the way I want to. Right. That sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, the question is, has the true creator God revealed to us how we come to him? Right. Um, if he has, then Christians who are trusting Christ and come to him on his terms, this whole yoga would be totally off base. Right. Right. Yeah, because like you said, he ordains how we come to him. And we don't make up the rules for um, our worship to God. I got a question for you, Amy. Mm -hmm. Based on a few things that you've been saying, and I'm trying to understand their claims. Do they think everything is good, or do they actually think there are evil spirits? How do they handle that? Do, do the Eastern religion, yoga, Hindu... Uh, reincarnate all that you, you mentioned this coiled snake it almost sounds like they think there's evil spirits I don't know if if the Hindu and Buddhist and all of them actually believe in evil spirits they don't have a doctrine for evil spirits so there's there's nothing in the study that points out evil spirits well then what's yeah. the coiled snake that you're trying to get rid of no, you're not trying to get rid of it. You're trying to access it. You're trying to let you it- You want the coiled snake. Say that again? You want the coiled snake? You want the coiled snake. That's what yoga is about. You want that power to move up through you so you can access that power within. 
So it's not moving up to get out of you. It's moving up to take over you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there is no doctrine regarding evil that I, that I know of in these different religions. Well, so then, but then that begs certain questions. For example, if you have reincarnation and karma and all of that, they must think something's bad. In other words, if you're in a bad condition because of something you did previously, there must be a difference between good and bad, or what's the point of learning anything? Right. They specify it as just neutral energy that comes at you in a negative way if you attract that, but it's still just energy, and energy is neutral. Energy is non-living. So based on some non-energy that's not necessarily bad, you got to have a li- miserable life to pay for something from a previous life. Right, right. There's no, there's no revealed moral law to know what good and bad is. Right, there's no context to work through if you don't know what you did to have to move through this negativity that you're attracting, that you've attracted in your life. So would you say then that the categories positive and negative right. mm-hmm. replace the biblical categories of good and evil? It does. That's exactly what it is. Wow. Okay, so then tying that back to just the general Western practice of yoga. Right. W- when somebody just goes and starts one of these yoga classes, are they going to hear any of this? Are they going to hear anything about trying to give the coiled snake access? It depends on the teacher and the the style of class. If it's in a gym setting, probably not. If it's in a more mystical style of yoga studio or something, like a yoga studio, if it's in it, like, which we call Shala, if it's in a yoga studio or a Shala setting, then they have a little more free reign to discuss all of the aspects of the mystical. Whereas in a gym setting, a lot of times the gym style doesn't want that brought in. If they don't have to talk about it, they, they don't talk about it. But does the serpent care if you talk about it? It does not. It doesn't nullify it at all. So it, it doesn't matter if it's a topic or not. If, if the student steps on the mat, they are giving consent. If they start the poses and they start practicing, that is their consent. Okay, so Bob, help us think through this theologically. Any unbelievers already in the domain of Satan? We see that idea throughout scripture, most specifically in Colossians 1, we're transferred from the domain of darkness to the domain of the sun. Well, first of all, I need to say that this whole taking the terms positive and negative in order to replace the biblical categories, good and evil, is not a valid thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Because the subjective impressions of any given person might determine what's positive. They may do something really bad, like take some kind of psychedelic drug and decide that's a positive experience, meaning pleasurable or wonderful or feels good or whatever. And so those aren't valid categories. The Bible talks about good and evil. And the garden, when the serpent, and by the way, the serpent is evil. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're uh, trying to get in touch with 
what we know to be evil from the Bible, there was this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so those are the biblical categories. And evil means uh, it's sinful and in rebellion against God. And the Bible says that sin is lawlessness. And so and the reality is that we need to allow God to define what the categories are, not the subjective impressions of some practitioner who decides something is positive. Right. Right. And then when people complain about negative things, if you listen to their talk, and I've been doing various versions of counseling off and on uh, when people contact us for help, they know that it's evil. If someone was abused, they know it was evil. Mm-hmm. If they were robbed, they know it was evil. If they were uh, lied to and taken advantage of, they know that it's evil. It isn't just negative. It's actually evil, and it's wicked. And they know it, whether they want to admit it or not. And so they're really, by removing the biblical categories of good and evil and truth and error and right and wrong, they're putting people into a subjective world of metaphysical impressions that they have to try to sort through. Mm-hmm. But as you, as you know and as many have found out, there are real demons there is a real Satan. There is real spiritual evil. Yeah. And, and these beings have been in the universe for thousands of years, and they have our disinterest in mind. They want to harm us. They don't want to help us. Now, if I may say one more thing theologically, I was thinking of a scripture. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, you have these practitioners or shamans or witch doctors or whatever they want to be called. Most cultures have some version of some sort of a person who's supposedly good at the spirit realm or to mediate humans between humans and spirits. Well, shaman maybe is the best overall term. But the Bible says something about Jesus Christ, that he's even greater than the high priests in the Old Testament who were Levites. And here's what it says about Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 7, starting in verse 25, I'm, I'm going to start out with the, the ability that he has to save, and then why. Therefore, he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. So the Bible is saying that the very creator who is not implicated in any of these problems, call them negative, if you will, He's not, he's not, there's no negative vibes in the creator. He's holy, undefiled, exalted above the heavens. Mm -hmm. The very creator of the universe came into our world, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. And it says he offered up himself once for all. Now, this is what's so stark in the contrast between the Bible 
and this Eastern religion. Okay? So you have a holy, sinless, perfect Savior who offered himself for sins, and he did so once for all. And so rather than trying to turn some snake loose in us, uh, and we're, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to imagine how they think the serpent is a good thing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty amazing. But anyhow, we come to a Savior who loves us and cares for us and is not just some force in the universe, but the very creator who redeems us and he forgives all of our sins. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking of the contrast between Jesus Christ who's holy, undefiled, separated from sinners, and all these yoga practitioners who are trying to get through their own problems. Mm-hmm. I don't know, do they claim somebody's totally arrived and they have no negative vibes and they're perfected? In my experience, it's only people who die. You know, you have to die to release karma and the negative experiences. So then you, when you reach that heightened state, you no longer come back in, in the form of a body. You no longer need earth as a school to teach you lessons. That's the apparently ultimate aim. So the ascended masters don't come back so we don't know they really made it anyhow. Okay. Well, they're ascended, so they did make it in the context of they no longer need their earthly body because they ascended beyond karma. You know, Amy, isn't that an amazing contrast to the claim of the Bible because Jesus Christ, the sinless one, came to earth, lived in a body, but he was without sin. So the body isn't inherently the problem because Jesus Christ had a body and was still sinless. And furthermore, they're claiming their ascended masters are gone. So we they don't have any proof that they actually did it. They they may say they're such people but we might think, well, they may, they're just sinners out here like everybody else that came back. You believe in karma. You, you can't prove it. It's an unprovable claim. Whereas Jesus Christ predicted his own resurrection, and he was raised in a real body. And even when Thomas was doubting, uh, Jesus said, here, t- come and touch. Touch my hands. Feel the wounds. And then Thomas, seeing the resurrected Christ, didn't say, Oh, I see you didn't ascend. You're stuck back here. <laughs> Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Amen. Having a body proved the claims of Christ, mm-hmm. whereas these ascended masters don't have a body, and we don't even know if they really exist, or we don't even know if they're, maybe they're in hell. What do we know? Right. They're in the unknown metaphysical realm that, we can't quantify. Right. So there's such a contrast between what the Bible's asking us to believe, which is cold, sober facts, mm-hmm. and what Easter religion is asking that we assume there are some ascended masters, but no one can actually talk to one because they don't exist on the earth. Right. And it was just such a relief to move out of the ephemeral when Jesus brought me out and to have parameters and barriers and to be able to read his Bible as doctrine. Mm-hmm. Amen. So that, reminds, 
So then my question for you, Bob, would be this. So we have the redeemed who are thankful for those parameters or should be, as Amy just said, and they are safely transferred to the kingdom, to the kingdom of light, to, to Christ's yeah. kingdom. Mm -hmm. And then we have our unbelieving neighbors who are happily sending their five-year-old off to go do yoga in their kindergarten phi ed class. And they don't really care what the Bible says, and they don't really believe there's any Hinduism or any spiritual aspect to this yoga. What is the real threat for them and their kids? Well, it's almost more dangerous to just think it's all just being ordinary and there's no big problem. For our listeners, I want everybody to know that when it says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14 in Acts 26, uh, 18 and so on, that God through Christ will transfer believers from the realm of darkness to light, from the domain of Satan to God. Most of the people that are in the realm of darkness don't actually think that's where they are. Right. And that's why these categories, positive and negative, are so insidious. They're, they're, they're lying categories because somebody can have a, a, a happy, healthy, positive, cheerful life and never know Christ and remain in the realm of darkness their entire life right. and don't know that's where they are. Furthermore, the reason positive and negative are bad categories is that somebody can truly be serving God faithfully. For example, our Savior Jesus, who never sinned, the sinless one, he was hated. He was spat upon, he was reviled, he was whipped, he was tormented and tempted, and he went through all sorts of things that we could call negative, but the Bible said he was absolutely sinless. And people can come to Christ and still experience negative things. Mm -hmm. But that it seems negative, meaning undesirable to us, doesn't mean it's sinful. And that's very liberating because almost everybody eventually experiences a lot of negativity. Everybody loses friends or gets sick at some point. Right now, the whole world is going through this negative experience of this virus. And so if you're calling negative the thing you have to avoid, you're in this unavoidable bad situation. But if you believe that God declares certain things to be true and right and good, and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of thy master. We can have the joy of the Lord even when negative stuff is going on all around us. Right. Mm -hmm. So we got to get our categories right or we're just going to be in a morass of confusion. So Amy, what's your warning then to those who think they're just doing yoga? Well, you know, it's like the poses themselves are devised to transmit signals to the spirit world. So you're appealing to the spirit or demon attributed to each pose and yoga is a body language signal. So by taking on the arch archetypal shapes ascribed to these deities, you're using your body as a beacon to signal and consequently invoke these spirits to operate through you, to essentially invade you. And, you know, as I mentioned, consent, whether informed or uninformed is, is inferred. You know, it, it follows the same principle as the doctrine of transferred intent. 
you know, just change a couple of, you know, substitute a couple of the words. And I also wanted to touch upon the chanting of the spiritual mantra OM that everyone does in these classes. And it's just considered to be like the high vibration, bringing positive energy into the room. So then there's a reason why it's that particular chant? Yes. It is considered to be the sacred sound of the universe. And yoga classes begin and end with the sacred sounding symbol of OM by the whole class. And the OM is a dedication. It's the invocation and benediction to the to acknowledge our connection to the universe so it seems it seems like it's it's a good thing it's like oh we're all connected in this one universe all is one the student is paying homage to the supreme being whether he or she intends to or not so it seems like you're just lifting your vibrations i'm just bringing the positive vibrations i'm 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 getting rid of the negative vibrations and we're all doing this together as one class so it seems really uplifting but the whole premise of it is demonic but if you don't and if you don't know that it doesn't matter you're still invoking these spirits it doesn't matter they would they prefer that you don't know wow. you know and so by virtue of converting your body into these poses you're making yourself a beacon and a totem to spirits. Yoga classes are spiritual by definition of their archetypal shape and attributive function. All poses can be categorized according to which archetypal figure they embody. So there's three different categories that these figures embody, that these shapes um, that you take on embody. And to shine a little light on the ways in which Satan has taken parts of the Bible and redefined the terms as, as we've been discussing to fit his version and further his agenda. It, which draws us away from God and toward him, the serpent. Just to make this a little bit more relatable to people who practice yoga and what these poses represent, the first category consists of Hindu gods, demigods, sages, and mythological figures. So just to name a few, Marichyasana is, we honor Marichi, the son of Brahman. Matsyandrasana, we honor Matsyandra, the lord of the fishes. And then the last one in this category I'll mention is Hanumanasana. He's the monkey-faced warrior god. And um, <laughs> just to highlight a little on this particular annoying pose, it's one that my teacher loved, and he would give us the backstory while we, while we lingered in it, and it was just essentially splits with your hands in the air. So in one of my very last yoga classes, we were stuck in this awful pose, and my teacher again proceeded with the rendition of Hanuman. And I finally heard the morbid backstory without my yoga filter obscuring. You know, Jesus had at this point opened my eyes and ears. And I was like listening to this awful story. And he goes on to say, Hanuman was, according to yoga mythology, an ugly, monkey-faced, yet loyal, courageous, strong warrior. And he is alleged to reside over physical culture and stamina in our realm due to his uh, supernatural prowess. And then the teacher goes on to explain that to honor him, we must visualize the severed head of our enemy we just killed being held in our lifted hands. You know, oh. these are the ugly deities that we're revering in these poses. 
And he told this story probably many times and I just never heard it. And this is, you know, at the end, I finally heard what, what we were actually honoring and it was so disturbing and, but nobody even bats an eye, you know? And if like, if you have an enemy, isn't there evil in this world? You know, if, if you have an enemy that you need to battle, doesn't that consist of something evil? Well, why am I not, holding a severed head of my enemy if there's no good or evil? Well, it's right? that even their category positive negative doesn't work because if that's not negative, what is? Yeah. And if it is negative, why is it part of what you're doing? Why is it part of what we're doing if we're trying to increase our positive vibes? Right. Sounds about as negative as anything I've heard about. Right. Right. Well, the verse that keeps coming to mind to me is Romans one twenty two. Professing themselves to be wise, they became they fools. Became. I mean, just to sit back and listen to that, you think how foolish. And you know, part of the danger of this, we don't know who God's going to save and and when He's going to save them. But we know that there is reprobation and there is hardening. And the more people go down this path. Mm-hmm. And and allow themselves to be influenced by these thoughts and by these beings and all of these things, it can further harden them. And whether or not they realize there is a creator God and that there will be judgment and that there is sin and that there is righteousness, it doesn't matter if they believe it or not, it's real. And following down that path and opening themselves up to these things is dangerous and it hurts them. Mm -hmm. So, Bob, do you have anything you want to say before we close? Well, if if you're into yoga, get out of it and flee to the Savior, the holy, undefiled, righteous high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us, Mm -hmm. go to him. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Amen. That is a great place to wrap things up for today. We're going to be back next week with Amy, where we'll continue discussing yoga and how this is being accepted by the church. And so we look forward to that conversation. Uh, For Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramus with Bob DeWay and Amy Russell, and we'll see you next week.